Last week, I started a three-week sermon series. I didn't talk about it as a sermon series, but I did start a sermon series on the idea of story. And uh, it was being based on some of the stuff I did at the leadership training event that we had here um, a couple of months ago. So we continue that. We're looking at two texts today. One from the book of Romans, the other from Ephesians. You don't need to turn there. Just listen. Romans 6, 5 through 14. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members... To sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. And from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened by their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn from Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught to him, uh, in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, to put on the new self created after a likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Here ends the reading of God's Word. I'm astonished when I read the Apostle Paul and how bodily he talks about the Christian faith. How physical the faith is. We tend to think of Christianity as something we believe. It's mainly a mental thing. But Paul, who we go to to understand this mental thing, doesn't talk about it that way. He talks about it as something you are and you do and you have in your being talks about how your body is important in that. How you put it on like a garment. Very physical description. How you have a new self. Your old one is crucified and there's a whole new you and you walk in it. You physically walk in your faith. Think about how physical, how active the faith that Paul describes is. Here's the theology behind this. You are a body and a spirit. You're both. And we tend to make the mistake of talking about like the real me's inside. This is kind of a shell. But the Bible doesn't talk about it like that. You are your body. 
And your body's broken by sin just like your spirit is. And Jesus is going to fix both your body and your spirit. Because he's going to totally redo your, the, the effects of sin. So Jesus comes. He takes on one of these bodies and dies in it so that you can have life in it. So what happens in your body is important. Paul will go on to say in, in several of these passages and in other passages, what you do is your body is important. You can't just keep on sinning. You can't just do whatever you want with your body because it doesn't really affect your spirit. For God, you're both. I'm starting to understand Paul's emphasis on the body differently as I'm doing a lot more research into the idea of story. To, to back up, I think our lives are stories. Our lives are stories. They unfold in time, in seasons, just the way a movie would, just the way a novel would. We can look back on your life and talk about different chapters, different conflicts that you were in that, that transformed you as a character. I mean, that's how life unfolds. Now, we like when we watch movies and they get into conflict, but in our own stories, we don't like conflict so much, right? We'd rather not have all the conflict. We'd rather just kind of stay steady and live our conflict through other people's stories. But our lives are stories. In ancient times, that's how people talked. They talked about story. They told the story. So they told the story of your ancestors because that was who you were. You wanted to live into those stories. People back then couldn't write things down. They couldn't record stuff. So you had to be able to remember it, and you remembered it through story. And it was natural because our lives are story. This changed, I'm giving you a little bit of background here. This changed in the Enlightenment. In the Enlightenment, we basically bought into a couple of big stories. Meta-narratives. The idea that science was good. That progress was inevitable. That the more we knew, the better we would be as people. Better, more knowledge would lead to better lives and technology would continue to improve our lives. And in order to believe these big meta-narratives, we had to have this thing called objectivity. Where when you're objective, right, you leave aside your own story. So I leave aside my own story and all my suppositions and I, have, I take whatever that thing is that I'm studying and I take it out of its context and I just study it objectively. The problem is that that didn't really work. And in the last hundred years, this idea of the Enlightenment hasn't worked out, right? Because technology has made our world better in some ways, but it's also given us some really, really efficient ways of killing each other, of hurting each other. More knowledge hasn't always made people better. The truths haven't panned out. And in losing our own story to objectivity, all kinds of things like Nazi Germany can happen. Because if I, if I call you a Jew instead of having your name and have you have a story, I can do whatever you, I want to you because our stories make us people. And when you take away a story, you take away someone's personhood. The results for Christianity haven't been that much better. The Bible was a story. It was not a story anymore. It's chopped up into little sections. Worship centers around teaching in the sermon. Pastors become preachers. Theology becomes systematic. So we divide God up into his little, his little component parts and try to understand and master God. We live in a society today that's going back on this again. Where nobody wants to believe ultimate truths and meta-narratives. And we're obsessed with our own stories. This is why you have Facebook and stuff like that. Because people are in the minutia of their stories now. You don't just talk about, you know, that you're graduating. Talk about what you're having for dinner and you post that for the world to see. It's, it's a strange flip over the last couple generations. 
how, how does this work? How does story have such an impact on our lives? And in our world where we're discovering story more and more, how does that actually help us? Well, it's interesting. They're doing a lot of research on this now to basically say that how story actually works is that we embody story. We physically act related to our story. Let me say it clearly. You believe a story about yourself. Story about yourself at home, yourself at work, maybe multiple stories. Sometimes your stories are different. And you dress a certain way, you drive a certain car, and you do kind of things in your life to fit the story, the narrative that you have for yourself. Have you ever had people from different areas of your world mix? Like somebody from church meets somebody from work, and you're like not sure what to do because you're used to acting in different stories in different places? We physically act and we to, to reinforce the story that we have. Let me give you some practical examples. You dress, and your clothes say a certain thing about you, right? No, that's why the clothing company puts their logo on stuff. Because they want you to identify. Oh, he wears Nike. He must be athletic. Dress. I see this all the time when, at the YMCA. When you get somebody who's new, and they're like, oh, i got to get in shape. You know what they do? They buy a membership, and then they go to Dick's Sporting Goods, and they buy outfits. And so they're in all orange, and it all matches. And they, so they, you know what I want to do? They, we naturally do this. I want to dress like the fit person I want to be. I want to embody the new story. So I go out and I buy new clothes. All right, here's another one. The car you drive. I had so many of my friends in college that swore they would never have a minivan. I am never buying a minivan. Well, you know what? When you're in college, your story doesn't say, hi, I'm a minivan driver. But two or three kids later, you start thinking, oh, man, those minivans, those are a good idea. And then all of a sudden, a lot of my friends who swore they would never have minivans are showing off their minivans. Because their story's different. They're embodying a new story. I had a person I knew that was telling some of this story stuff too, who talked about her son buying a car. And her son has cerebral palsy. And when he, 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 he's... Uh, he can't use his legs very much, but he can use his arms, and he got certified to have a car changed so he can drive with just his hands. And he went out and looked at cars, and he found the car he really wanted, and he was begging his mom to have it. And it was a car that had clearly been burnt. Literally. It had, like, smoke damage in the top. You could tell it was, it was pretty sound, but it was obviously damaged. And as I told her about this stuff about the she said, you know what, my son sees himself as damaged. And he was attracted to a damaged car. Your pets say something about you. I have weird and unusual pets. You know why? I'm weird and unusual. My pets fit me perfectly. And all kinds of people that take in stray pets. And normally there's a, there's a reason in their story for that. They either feel like strays or they feel like a person who rescues strays. But either way, it's a story about your pet. Depressed people often don't take care of themselves. They look disheveled because they're enacting the story that they're living Sometimes we tell stories to hide our real self. This is the midlife car purchase. The midnight crisis, right? Some guys have done this before. What you do is you go out and you buy a fancy car that's like the age you wish you were. You're trying to present a story that's just not true anymore. We live our stories. We formalize them. We ritualize them. We celebrate weddings and graduations. We formalize the way we we, we celebrate 
different chapters in the story. So the question of the day is, what story are you embodying? What story are you living in your life? Because it's not a matter of if you are. It's what's the story that you're living right now. Is it the story that you want to live? Is it God's story for you? If you're not careful about this, I can tell you there are plenty of other people that want to write your story. They're called marketers. And they're very good at it. They want to market to you that your story is different so that you, in trying to live into your story, embody it by buying their products. Ready? Let me give you some examples. How many of you have seen the Old Spice commercials that are sung by moms who are mourning that now their sons are getting all these women because they smell better because of Old Spice soap? Right? It's goofy. It's ridiculous. But what's the underlying story? Sons want girls... To get girls, they need to smell better, so Old Spice will provide that for you. It's a goofy way of saying, your story is you want to get girls, and you also kind of want to make your moms upset. It's, it's actually brilliant and goofy all at the same time. How about this one? Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline, right? That's not just selling makeup. We can sell makeup like this. This makeup works on your face. Then you'll just you'll describe the product. You tell a story. And Maybelline says the story is this. Not just that you can paint your face, but it looks natural. And somebody's going to look at you and say, is that makeup or is she just naturally beautiful? <laughs> it's a story. It's brilliant. Marketers are genius at this. Car companies are genius at this. Okay. You got, you've seen this one. Guts, glory, ram. Look, ram trucks don't give you guts or glory. There's never been a person that was like, you know, I've never had guts. And I've only had a little bit of glory. But then I bought a ram truck and suddenly I had guts and glory. What do they say? If you want to live a story that you have guts and glory, one of the things that might help you with that is getting a ram truck. It's story. It's story. And our culture is great at this. You go to the mall, there are stories in every window that try to, try to suck you in. Notice that even most commercials, they don't even talk about the products. They're all stories. Most of them without words. Most of them, you don't even know what the product is until the logo pops up at the end. Because marketers understand this. The world is very good at telling its story. It's very good at shaming you into wanting to have its product. But God has a different story about you. Everybody hear this. God has a different story about you. It's not that you're not enough and you need more. God's story is you're not enough and God was enough for you. God's story is, written in this book called the Bible, sung in all of our hymns, is that you've been saved, redeemed, transformed. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You're perfect. You're good. You're holy. You're bought with a price. You've, given, you've been given new life. You're born again. You're made anew. You're not the sum of your past. You're not the total of your future. You sit in this pew right now as treasures in your Father's eyes. That's your story. That's your story. But it's not your story. It's not your functional story until you embody it. Right? 
That's why Paul is onto something here. Paul understands you can talk about the faith all you want, but it's not really your faith till you live it, till it's something physical you enact. We have made the Christian faith into something you believe. We sing the song, we sang it last week. I love to tell the story. But often in practice, what we actually love to do is talk about telling the story. And what Paul says is, we shouldn't even tell the story. We should live the story. We should embody the story. The mainline church in America has bought this enlightenment thinking, hook, line, and sinker, and it is sinking us. We have lost our ability to think of our faith as story. We've lost our ability to think of the Bible as story. We have made it into an idea to be studied, dissected, and learned. And we just don't know how to embody it. I'm not saying that understanding is not important, but it's secondary. And think about how perfectly our faith is set up for embodiment. This morning, we're standing up. We're sitting down. We're talking back and forth. We have a set Sabbath. We have a church year, a rhythm for life. We have the opportunity to serve other people. In a little bit, we're going to go to communion. We're going to embody that we are the body. We're going to eat it. We're going to sing it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to stand in it. Our faith is made to be embodied. Is everybody tracking here? It's meant to be done. And God keeps us in this story, not through shame, but through love. Through constantly being reminded that we are loved, we are the beloved of the Father, and that we should love other people. So when you think about our faith, don't think of it as something you believe. Think of it as something you embody. Because there's these two, there's these two stories going on. And the world is really happy and is spending billions of dollars to tell a certain story about you. And in contrast, God has this other story about you that he is in a still small voice inviting you to all the time. And it's like two dogs fighting. And you know who's going to win? The dog that you feed the most. The dog that you feed the most. You are already embodying a story. You're already doing this. You're already dressing, living, driving, acting, speaking out of a story of yourself. Or a story you want everybody else to believe about yourself. So... My challenge to you is that you would embody the story of Christ. As Paul would think about it, may you live your faith out in your body. May you put Christ on like some new clothes. And may you be your new self walking in God's story. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you speak and work and you give us story. That you call us away from the world's story that is so abusive and destructive toward us. Help us to embody your story in worship. Help us to embody your story in our lives, we pray. Amen.